welcome to the week four edition of the Stat Pack. I'm your host, Adam Dubrovalski, and well, it's a replacement referee free edition of the Stat Pack, which is always great to talk about not having to do anything with the replacement refs. Uh, certainly, it was a much more clean and efficient week business back to usual. So let's move past all that. Let's take a look at some of the big games, some of the big notes, some of the big stats, everything you need to know that happened in week four, as well as a week a, uh, look ahead, excuse me, to week five. Uh, but first things first, I, I do want to mention something that I didn't get to mention uh, last week in the first edition of the Stat Pack. Of course, uh, that had to do a lot to do with uh, the replacement refs taking over pretty much everything in week three. Uh, but I do want to mention this uh, because, well, Tuesday would have marked the 70th birthday for Steve Sable, but as all of you know, he passed away uh, on September 18th. I, I do want to say that, uh, this uh, one note about uh, Steve Sable. And I don't think uh, there's really any sport that comes close to providing the narrative uh, that football presents. In a sense, really every game is a story that makes up one chapter and every season becomes a book because of that and it's really a part of a continuing series for each franchise and NFL films by and far best presented these stories and it made the connections between the game and real life in such an artistic yet personal way and for all the facets of the game the struggles the dedication the hard work the perseverance, the triumphs, the losses, the camaraderie, the teamwork, the redemptions, they all equate to our own experiences in life. And NFL Films made that so beautifully evident. Uh, and really, on a personal level, I can't even put into words how NFL Films impacted my life as a fan, as a journalist. I grew up on NFL Films. It's, it's shaped the way I've thought about football and sports and even really a part of my own life and in a world where now digital's replacing film it was nice to see NFL films still be able to present those things so personably and do it with old school media do it with film the way it should be and wherever NFL films goes from here I hope they will continue to work in the spirit in the vision of the Sable family and the way they've done their business for nearly 50 years and what the company has existed. Uh, just without NFL films, you don't have football in its purest and most beautiful form. We don't get to understand all the emotions and the hardships involving everyone in football, whether it's players, coaches, executives, managers, workers, so on and so forth. And they go through it on a weekly basis. And without NFL films, we don't have the NFL as we know it. We might not have cold hard football facts, we might not have the stat pack, we might not have any of that without NFL Films. So uh, God bless to Steve Sable one more time for all that he's done to present sport, art, and a human condition all into one brilliantly cohesive picture. On that note, let's start things off with the three games of the week that didn't involve divisional teams. As this was a divisional heavy week four, 15 games in total, nine of them intra-divisional games. Uh, but the three big matchups that uh, come out to mind really when you look at it, uh, first things first, there, there were two blowouts in what could have been exciting games. 
the 49ers, fresh off a loss in Minnesota, going cross-country to the Meadowlands to face off against the Jets, an early start time, a chance for them to bounce back against a Jets team that's looking to move forward without Darrell Revis uh, and do so uh, with Mark Sanchez trying to take over this team and do a better job. Both of these teams entering the game at 2-1, and one, but it wasn't even close. San Francisco blowing out New York 34-0 with the win. San Francisco moves up from 16th place to a tie for 6th place in the quality stats power rankings. The Jets falling 16 spots from 12th to 28th. And you look at uh, j- just what was an awful game for New York. They entered the game 5th in scoreability, unable to get a point. But they only had 150 yards of offense. That wasn't really uh, even uh, anything good. But San Francisco, uh, j- just uh, unbelievable what they did uh, with uh, really just Blowing the doors off the Jets, it was not a good sign for New York, uh, and they have now dropped down 12 spots to 23rd with 5.89 real passing yards per attempt. Mark Sanchez just isn't getting it done right now at this point, and uh, it's now, what, to year four? The excuses are running out for Mark Sanchez. He needs to get the job done, and through a quarter of the season, looking at what Sanchez has done this year is, uh, well, quite uninspiring. Yes, he has five touchdowns in four games, but he also has four interceptions. He's completed less than 50% of his passes, and his rating is under 70. And remember, this is a guy who still doesn't have a pass rating over 80 in a single season, but Sanchez, in his last three games, 10 of 27 at Pittsburgh, 21 of 45 at Miami, 13 of 29 at San Francisco. For uh, Mark Sanchez, that is just unacceptable. You can't have really any game completing less than half of your passes, but to do it in three consecutive games, uh, that is uh, just abysmal. And at this point, you would think maybe the Jets need to look elsewhere. But the running game isn't working that well. Uh, they're passing games now without San Antonio Holmes, who at least added some sort of downfield ability, and they won't have that. Um, it's just right now an utter mess for this Jets team. 22nd in the offensive hog index, 30th in offensive passer rating, 28th in a real quarterback rating, and as we mentioned, uh, 23rd in real passing yards per attempt. And for scoreability, that's been kind of their calling card uh, in the last year and a quarter. They're now down to 15th. Offensively, uh, this team, they kind of just look lost. Meanwhile, for San Francisco, this is exactly the bounce-back game you wanted. You wanted to dominate. You wanted to not turn over the football. Alex Smith did not have an interception. The team was efficient with their scoring. They're now up to 7th in scoreability, and uh, did so uh, really just uh, all around a solid game for the San Francisco team, whether it was running the ball with Frank Gore and Kendall Walker, whether it was uh, getting good field position for the defense, or even scoring 
defensively when San Antonio Holmes got injured. Uh, San Francisco, uh, they were able to score 34 points and rush for over 200 yards. They had 379 yards total. An efficient day there for them. They were able to uh, keep their QB, uh, the real quarterback rating at 11th. Um, a solid game there uh, for Alex Smith offensively, and it's kind of been that way. Um, but defensively, uh, they're able to have a good game, and they now rank fourth in pass rating differential. So San Francisco, kind of a, a game that puts them right back up into that top five, top eight category. Another big game that turned out to be, well, a crap fest, to be honest. Chicago at Dallas. This was supposed to be a matchup on Monday Night Football. Two 2-1 two teams. Dallas, who was playing really uh, uninspiring football the last two weeks, but in a position to redeem themselves after what happened last year when they were 2-1, and one, hosting an NFC North team at Cowboys Stadium in a big spot. But the Cowboys blew a huge lead against Detroit. That was a matchup that cost them a chance at the division, at the wild card. And they finished 8-8. Eight and eight. Chance here to redeem themselves. Meanwhile, Chicago, after an uninspiring Week 2 performance, bouncing back Week 3. This was supposed to be a matchup between two great defenses with the offensive. Still having capability with Jay Cutler against Tony Romo. And the game was one-sided. Dallas played terrible, 34-18 matchup. Uh, and as uh, we say here at Cold Hard Football Facts, the Dallas Cowboys are the stupidest team in the National Football League. And look, I understand Tony Romo threw five interceptions, but the first interception, it's a miscommunication between Tony Romo and Des Bryant. It's a third and seven. It's a quick read, and Bryant keeps going out as if he's going for a deep pass, going with the go route, and he's supposed to curl back and just sit there and get the catch. Instead, it goes right to Peanut Tillman. Tillman picks six, a 10-0 game. Good job by Tony Romo to bounce back to make it 10-7 at the half. But then right after that, after the Bears get a touchdown on their first drive of the third quarter, Cowboys are driving. What happens? Tony Romo, a perfect slant pass to Kevin Ogletree. And this is right at the level of his numbers. Ogletree doesn't get his hands out in time. It hits off, uh, I think, his his... His arm, his bicep or something, pops up in the air. It's intercepted by the Bears. Then you have that third turnover, which I still don't know what Tony Romo was trying to do. Was he trying to shovel a pass? But it went to Lance Briggs anyway. 74 yards into the house, second defensive touchdown. Game over after that. Uh, So I think the last two interceptions by Romo were relatively useless. The Cowboys had virtually no chance of coming back at that point anyway. What I thought hurt... The Cowboys the most in terms of Tony Romo's play uh, right along with that third interception, the one that was returned for a touchdown by Briggs, was that Romo missed two seam routes that could have been touchdowns, one to Des Bryant and one to Miles Austin. Uh, and that cost the Cowboys, I believe, either 10 or 14 points. And uh, that in itself is unacceptable. But you had other small plays. You had uh, a drive where the Cowboys had to go for a third down because Kevin Ogletree decides to go east and west when he gets a block from DeMarco Murray from the cutback up. 
and go forward. Instead, he tries to cut back outside, loses a yard or two. Cowboys can't convert on third down. You have Des Bryant's drop on a third and five uh, where Tillman, okay, maybe he had some hands on uh, Bryant's face, but they, they really weren't that distracting. The focus needs to be there for Des Bryant. He, in fact, uh, had two drops on uh, the, uh, the first half, but uh, you look at it, two seam routes that were missed by Romo, one on a third and four the Cowboys uh, had to punt in uh, the first half. And then you look at it, it happened uh, the second time in the second half uh, where he missed Miles Austin. And I believe that one might have been uh, settled for a field goal. And that hurt the Cowboys. So uh, overall, it, it was just a, a sloppy performance offensively for Dallas. But give credit to Chicago. They did a fantastic job taking advantage of Dallas in terms of making those interceptions, those five interceptions, moving Chicago into a really good position in terms of their defensive passer rating. Now, they're not the best in the league. Surprisingly, that's the St. Louis Rams. But Chicago, with 11 interceptions in four games, their second in DPR at 64.41. Uh, so even though there's a lot of teams that are trying to pass on the Bears, they've been active. 11 interceptions, just a fantastic job right now by this unit. And they will be a team that you have to look out deep into the postseason, especially if Jay Cutler can get the protection he had Monday night against Dallas. Chicago, dead last. And the offensive hog index Overall, they did a good job. There was one sack and a fumble lost uh, that was done in by DeMarcus Ware. But otherwise than that, Cutler seemed rather clean. He wasn't really pressured all that much. He was efficient with his passing. 18 of 24, 275 yards, two touchdowns, no interceptions, a rating of 140.1. A fantastic job for him. Brandon Marshall got involved. Kellen Davis got involved. And it was uh, one of the better performances for Jay Cutler in recent seasons and one of the more encouraging performances for the Bears moving forward. Uh, So give them credit, a great performance in Dallas. Uh, But the Cowboys, it just to me, it seems uh, painfully evident. The receivers, they're not uh, mentally on the level of Tony Romo. Tony Romo is not able to make up for the team's mistakes. He's a guy that needs the pieces to be around him better. He's not uh, he's a guy statistically that you know can make any team a contender, but he's not a guy in terms of game uh, situations where it's uh, in the context of needing to get done where it seems like uh, he's able to move the team from uh, pretender to contender. It seems like this team's waffling. Uh, between contendership back and forth, but can you really blame Tony Romo all the way? I don't necessarily think so. Even in this game, you look at it, two of those five interceptions were not his fault. Two of the last five interceptions, well, those were in desperate times where he didn't really cost the team the game. I don't think Tony Romo has actually cost the team a game In the last three years, minus maybe that Detroit game, I think he's over those type of plays. But there's still plays where the game's up in the air and the team's not getting the job done. 
and Romo can't compensate for it. It's just a team that's not disciplined very well. I think that Jason Garrett isn't much of a difference right now at this point than Wade Phillips. The team is still starting off slowly. They didn't score in the first quarter. It took them, in fact, 29 minutes to score points in the game. They started slowly against the Buccaneers, slowly against the Giants, obviously slowly against the Seahawks. Uh, They need to get better first down offense, put the team in position to win games, use the balanced game offensively. They had two rushing first downs, 24 passing first downs. That is just a disgusting ratio. And yes, this is from a team last year that had four rushing touchdowns from their running backs. It's just not uh, a balanced offense. When, When things go awry, They try to pass a lot. Tony Romo tries to force these passes, and you have these epic losses for the Dallas Cowboys. So not a good sign from them. And then one other game. Didn't really expect this one to be a a game of the week. And this is kind of on the flip side. Not expecting much, but it was actually one of the better games and one of the more notable games of the week. And that was Miami at Arizona. Speaking of imbalance, rushing versus passing, Well, Arizona had their own issues trying to get through what's been so far a stout Miami rushing defense. If you were, in fact, to look at the Dolphins on the defensive hog index, they're ranked second, number one in terms of rushing yards allowed per attempt at 2.29, and they're also fifth uh, on third down. So even though Cameron Wake, it took him until week four to have a big game, and he finally did uh, against the Cardinals with the multi-sack game after having none in the first three weeks. But Miami able to slow down that rushing attack for Arizona, a team that did not have a single rushing first down, not one rushing first down for Arizona. Ryan Williams had 13 carries, and that's actually kind of uh, a number that oversells how many times the, the Cardinals looked at him because a third of those rushing attempts were in overtime. But he goes 13 carries, just 26 yards as a team. Arizona had 28 rushing yards. So that really put the Cardinals in a tough position. But how about Captain Cobb back? Kevin Cobb making a comeback for Arizona. They put it into overtime. They squeak away with a victory, 24-21. And Miami's been a tough team. Don't disrespect this team. Yes, they're 1-3. Yes, Ryan Tannehill's not playing all too well until Sunday when he had 431 passing yards. But this is a Miami team that's a respectable 20th in the quality uh, the quality stats power rankings as a 1-3 team. They lost in overtime to the Jets. They lost in overtime on the road at Arizona. They played Houston rather well until late in the second quarter back in week one, and they absolutely blew the doors off of the abysmal Oakland Raiders. And I say abysmal. They are terrible by my estimation. They're the worst team in the league by far. Uh, but anywho, Miami's playing respectable football. I have to worry though about Arizona. Can they they have uh, can they have themselves in a position where they can uh, do a better job moving the football on the ground and and uh, getting that offensive line going? They're dead last. Are the Cardinals in offensive hog index? Miami sacked Arizona eight times, and Cameron Wake had four and a half sacks. Koa Misi, a sack and a half, and then a sack each before. Uh, between Jared Audrick and Carlos Dansby. 
Eight sacks in Arizona on the season. Uh, just not a good job in terms of running the football. They're 31st, 2.7 yards per carry. And they're 25th on third downs, 25th in negative pass plays, even though Kevin Cobb, for the most part, is doing a good job not turning over the football. In fact, if you were to look at real quarterback rating, Arizona only four turnovers but nonetheless, uh, the offensive line is not uh, run blocking well. They're not pass protecting well. Kevin Cobb is still limited. There's only so much you can do. Can this offense get going? Because the defense, well, the defense, their biggest thing coming into the season was can they force the turnovers? It was something they worked on extensively in the offseason. And even though they only have four interceptions at this point, they're sixth in defensive passer rating at 74.26. They've allowed only a 60% uh, in terms of completions, just over seven yards per passing attempt. Uh, they've done a good job overall in terms of uh, uh, their defensive real quarterback rating. It's a little bit better. Third at 58.80 with eight turnovers forced in all. In terms of the defensive hog index, Arizona is tied for fourth with Houston. So they've done a really good job. Arizona, they have a defense, to me, under Ray Horton, that if they can make some plays, they're a team that can make noise in the playoffs if that offense can get the job done. Right now, I, I look at this team, I think uh, they're, they're kind of in the mold of uh, a 2003 Dallas Cowboys team where they can make it in the playoffs, but uh, there'll be a 10 and 16 that will go one and done. That is unless they get something going with the offense at this point. Um, but that ended up being a very good game. I'll give Miami credit. Uh, they had a nice matchup attacking the Arizona offensive line with their good defensive hogs. It ended up being one of the better games of the season. How about this one? We look at the divisional games now and look at some things that stand out. Atlanta, this was, well, the upset special for Tab Mathletics. Week three, the upset special was Minnesota to San Francisco. It was good. The week four upset special was Carolina over Atlanta, and it was almost set in stone, but Atlanta for the first time since, I believe, 1981, according to our captain comeback. The first time in NFL history a team began on their own 10-yard line. And Atlanta began on their own one-yard line with under a minute to go. It's the first time since 1981 that a team began within their own 10-yard line and is able to run a one-minute drill for the victory but how about this? This is what irks me for Carolina. You have Cam Newton. You have a fourth and one. A first down seals the game away. And oh, by the way, Tampa Bay last year gets a four-minute drill successfully because Atlanta goes offsides on a fourth down. So maybe even you can draw them offsides. But it's a fourth and one. You have Cam Newton. A guy had 14 rushing touchdowns last year. You decide not to go to him on fourth and one, but you decide to punt it. You're going to trust Haruki Nakamura, who was already fooled once by Roddy White. He was having a bad game outside of an interception, which was honestly on a rare bad throw by Matt Ryan. But you trust 
a defense that's 21st in defensive passer rating. You trust a pass defense that's 21st in defensive real quarterback rating. You trust a pass defense that is 18th in defensive real passing yards per attempt. And you trust Haruki Nakamura, but you don't trust Cam Newton. It, yes, punting the ball gave you probably about a 99% chance to win the game. But you convert the first down with Cam Newton, a guy who probably gets the job done, I'd say, 70 to 80% of the time in that situation. You get the job done, you have 100% chance to win if you convert that fourth and one. And you're on the road in Atlanta against a team that has Matt Ryan, who's been the comeback king, really, since he's joined this Football League, he's just done a fantastic job. Matt Ryan, you look at what he's done. He now has 12 fourth-quarter comebacks in his career. His third one-minute drill of his career. Third, Carolina decides to trust their defense, and they get burned. And they get burned rather easily. The first play of the drive, all they did was throw deep to Roddy White and Haruki Nakamura. All he had to do was knock it down. He's completely all out of sorts. Can't make the play. And then what Carolina decides to play off with its pass defense after that, after Atlanta's only a handful of yards to be in field goal range. Matt Bryant, who's had the best kicker percentage in the last handful of years. A guy back in 2006 who kicked the game-winning 62-yarder. You decide to play off and make it even closer for Matt Bryant. It was a horrible defensive series for Carolina. This, clean, this team clearly doesn't know how to win at this point right now. And I don't think Ron Rivera is a head coach that knows how to manage the team properly. In Carolina, they had the upset special right in their grasp. It would have been a huge victory for them getting it in Atlanta, keeping them in the divisional hunt. Instead, they lose in Atlanta. They're now three games back, as are the Buccaneers. The Saints are four games back. Atlanta, a quarter of the season through, may have already clinched the AFC South. It was a fantastic job by the Atlanta Falcons. And Oh, by the way, they still stand second. And the quality stats, power rankings, they move behind Houston, who uh, clearly to me looks like the best team in the league. But Atlanta, they're still pretty comfortably in second place, especially now when you look at Denver knocking the clock out of Oakland, San Diego knocking the clock out of Kansas City. Those two wins continue to look better for the Falcons against the Broncos and Chargers. But I, I thought that Carolina... Uh, they made the, the bonehead move of the week by not going for it on fourth down. Okay, so let's get into to some other things here, and let's take a look. A, a rapid-fire recap of some of the other uh, news and notes. Games uh, among divisional teams. New England defeating Buffalo 52-28 to as the Patriots get 31 points. In the fourth quarter, okay, 580 yards of total offense, but still 52 points. Buffalo made it too easy for a New England team to score. Uh, and Buffalo, 28th in bendability. You can't feed into this offense. 
You have to make them work for their points. And New England, well, in the first three games, they were struggling. They were mediocre 17th in scoreability, uh, but Buffalo made it too easy for them in the second half. New England, 45 second-half points, 31 in the second quarter. It was because of six turnovers, including four interceptions by Ryan Fitzpatrick. I understand Fitzpatrick's leading the league with 12 uh, passing touchdowns, but uh, he's not doing a good job right now. And his two losses, seven interceptions. You can't do that. You can't win and turn the ball over seven times in two games. And that's right now been the difference uh, for Buffalo in terms of their production. They've been blown out in two losses. They've had two uh, comfortable victories. They're a team you really don't know what you're going to get. But then again, I guess the Bills losing, uh, defeating the Chiefs and Browns and losing to the Patriots, go figure. They're a mediocre team. Next up, Minnesota defeating Detroit. And talk about some easy points for your offense. How about 14 points without taking the field offensively? Minnesota, 20 Lions 13, and oh boy, look at what's happened in the last two weeks to the Lions. Four special teams touchdowns, three big plays defensively allowed for touchdowns. You look at it, Tennessee became the first team in NFL history, five touchdowns of at least 60 yards in that Tennessee Titans 44-41 victory in overtime week three. Minnesota, two touchdowns, both over 60 yards Detroit somehow is still not dead last in bendability. That's because uh, Kansas City's a turnover machine. They've been giving opposing offenses uh, easy positioning to score. And because of that, the Chiefs have allowed less than 10 yards for every point they've allowed. But Detroit is in awful position right now. They're not helping themselves to win. They're 1-3, and, and they're not looking good whatsoever. They're 24th. 24th in the power rankings. In terms of their defensive passer rating, it's right back to the days of 2008 and 2009. It's over 100. The pass rating differential, the godfather, the grandfather, the, the grand poobah of all stats, they're negative 13.34. Defensively, in terms of their uh, front seven, the Hogs aren't getting the job done. They're tied for 18th. Uh, this is a team, I think, that's lost their mojo. They, they kind of had, a, uh, I think, a tenuous formula for success last year because they didn't have a running game, didn't really have a secondary. But the pass rush worked, the passing game worked, and they had a successful season. Regression said that uh, Matthew Stafford wouldn't have another 40-touchdown, 5,000-yard season, and Calvin Johnson wouldn't have another 80-reception, 1,500-yard, 8-touchdown season. Well, that seems to be the case. But was it going to be this bad? I don't know. Meanwhile, Minnesota, regression was going to say that their passing defense wouldn't do better. It was, I believe, the second-worst in NFL history last year. You knew it was going to be better. They're a respectable 16th at this point at 88.81, right around what you expected. But would you expect Christian Ponder to be the only starting quarterback without an interception thrown? Would you expect this team to be ranked 8th in offensive passer rating at 97.75. Well, how about it? That's the case for the Minnesota Vikings. They're taking care of the football. They're getting the job done defensively. Okay, they've beaten up on weak teams at this point, but 
hey, they can go with it. They have Tennessee next week, and they have a chance to be 4-1 right up there with the Chicago Bears in the NFC North. San Diego at Kansas City, the Chiefs stink. Uh, another offensive game that was a dreadful, six turnovers. And please, uh, the turbo lover, Jamal Charles, someone help him out. His 37-yard rushing touchdown was absolutely filthy, disgusting. He starts off on the right, breaks left, turns around the whole field. Just a fantastic job done by him. Another 5.4 yards per carry for this man. Jamal Charles, his career, his career rushing average is six Point zero at this point. This season, 5.8. This is off an ACL injury last year, but he's done a great job so far. He needs some help. Obviously, it shows you uh, the running back himself can't get the job done. Might not exactly be the shiny hood ornament that a wide receiver is, but nonetheless, at this point, uh, even though Jamal Charles has done a fantastic job, nothing, nothing is really helping out uh, this guy because running Attacks don't really win games. It's a passing attack that needs help, and Matt Castle not getting the job done. Seattle losing at St. Louis. This was a trap game for Seattle. One short day, only six days between games. Early start time from the great northwest to Missouri, 10 a.m. start time. It was a trap game. You kind of expect it. Uh, And the Rams, well, they have the best defensive pass rating in the league. Seattle, they have the second worst real passing yards per attempt at 4.84. It was a good matchup uh, for St. Louis. But also, Seattle had a good matchup. Their defensive hogs going up against St. Louis's struggling offensive hogs who have allowed quite a, a, a lot of sacks. But St. Louis is able to hold up with a nice fake field goal for a touchdown pass to Danny Amendola. So this one wasn't really surprising. But I, I will throw this out here. And, and I like Russell Wilson. I think he's uh, he's got it there mentally as a, as a quarterback. But he hasn't been able to get the ball down the field. That might be a, a, uh, really a tall telling sign of uh, the struggles here with his height. And because the team is 31st in real passing yards per attempt, they're 2-2 two and two instead of 4-4. Four and four. I'll say that again. The Seahawks could be 4-4 four and four at this point. Defensively, they're getting the job done. Uh, a defensive real quarterback rating at 67.36. That's 5th in the league. Defensive hog index, they're 8th. Defensive pass rating, they're 7th. Defensive, real passing yards per attempt. They're third. They're doing a great job in that department. Bendability, they're third. Defensively, they're getting the job done. But they're going with the rookie quarterback. And right now it's cost them a 4-0 start and a, a really a golden chance at getting a good start to potentially a postseason berth. I'm not to say Matt Flynn would be doing that much better, but the Seahawks haven't need to been that much better one offensive big play more in each one of their losses and they would be 4-0 at this point Houston at Tennessee or Houston hosting Tennessee excuse me a blowout victory for the Texans are the league's best team the Titans uh, not really any good can't really talk much about that same with the Broncos defeating the Raiders by the way the Broncos uh, I know they're 2-2 I know that they uh, had to make comebacks just to make it respectable against Houston and Atlanta. But Denver is second in the Relativity Index. And yes, that's very important. It's your best predictive factor 
moving forward. So Denver, they're facing off against New England, a team that is sixth in the Relativity Index. Keep a lookout for that game next week. Denver might be a better team uh, than some think. And to wrap things up with the divisional games, the Philadelphia Eagles defeating the New York Giants 19-17. The Eagles, they've won by a combined four points in their three victories. Then you take a look at that 21-point loss. So they still have uh, a scoring margin of negative 17. Not really a good sign for the Eagles, but they were able to slow up Eli Manning in this game, hold him to an 86.3 passer rating. And if you look at this team, they're fourth in the in uh, defensive real quarterback rating, they're third in defensive passer rating. They're doing a good job with their pass defense. Fifth in defensive real passing yards per attempt. They're getting the job done, even though Michael Vick clearly looks like the worst quarterback in the NFC East. If they can find a way to get Vic to uh, not roll out as much and hold the football as long, if they can find ways to get Shady McCoy more involved, this Eagles team will get better because I think their passing defense will be good throughout the rest of the season. I think this team turned it around. They found a way to properly use Namdi Asma and use Dominique Rodgers-Cromartie in the correct way. In terms of Asante Samuel leaving the team, I thought, Naturally, if you look at it now, it was the right move because you have two physical corners. Samuel was more of a guy who sat back, tried to read the receiver, and then make the play from there. Uh, so that really has helped out the Eagles. Their second year under Juan Castillo has helped out. Uh, this is a team that they can figure out the passing game, which I don't think they really will. But if they can figure out the passing game offensively, uh, they will be a team to be reckoned with in the NFC. We quickly looked at those divisional games, but let's take a look now at some of the other things, the the lists and whatnot, and how about we'll start things off with the top five performances for the players here in week four. And uh, to look at things uh, in in kind of an all-around perspective here, whether it's special teams, whether it's the passing game, whether it's the running game, whether it's uh, defensively, uh, there's going to be uh, a lot of performances, and we want to make sure we get all of them. Let's start things off uh, with, well, the Chicago Bears. I, I was very impressed uh, with the way so far they've played this season. In fact, in the Week 3 stat pack, I had Tim Jennings as one of my top five most outstanding players But I'm not going to go defensively here. I'm actually going to go offensively and give Jay Cutler a little bit of props here. I understand he's been having issues with uh, Jamarcus Webb and having issues with Mike Tice. But an efficient game for him, 18 of 24, 275 yards, two touchdowns, a passer rating of 140.1. And this was against a Dallas defense that did not allow... A passing touchdown to a wide receiver in the first three games. The Cowboys dropped 12 spots to 23rd in defensive passer rating because of the good performance by Jay Cutler. The Cowboys, they've had their usual problems defensively. They haven't been able to force turnovers. The offense is stupid. Uh, That's why the Cowboys are right there at the bottom in terms of scoreability, 31st behind the Eagles, who are 32nd. Um, But nonetheless, 
uh, Jake Cutler getting the job done, getting sacked only uh, twice the whole game. So you like to see that. Uh, I thought Cutler had a good game, and uh, let's give him some of the props for doing a good job there. Meanwhile, for the Minnesota Vikings, I'll throw out Percy Harvin here and, and give him a little bit of a props for what he's done overall this season. He's actually one of the top fantasy go-getters this year, but he set the tone early. In Detroit, a divisional game, a chance for the team to go 3-1 and one on the first play from scrimmage, a 105-yard kickoff return for a touchdown. He's been involved in the running game this season, been involved in the receiving game this season. Three rushes, three catches today. He was able to kind of set the tone for Minnesota, and uh, really for this team that's been playing well, Percy Harvin's been a huge factor. How about J.J. Watt, another name that uh, comes up uh, to mind, another guy that was in the top five most outstanding players through the first three weeks. How about another game with at least a sack and a half? J.J. Watt has at least a sack and a half in each of his first four games. He had two sacks, three tackles for a loss, two quarterback hits, five tackles against Tennessee. At this point, when you have a second-year player, a defensive end on the 3-4 line playing the way he is, he's been the guy that has avoided, at least at this point in the season, regression for Houston in terms of their pass defense. They had one of the worst passing defenses in 2010, move all the way up to one of the best. You knew there was going to be regression after what was about a 30-point improvement from 2010 to 2011. But at this point, Houston's still fourth in defensive passer rating at 68.20. And in terms of the defensive hogs, they've still done a good job. Fourth, despite being 23rd in terms of rushing defense at 4.35 yards allowed per attempt. But they're third in negative pass play percentage. They're tops in third down defense, allowing only one of four, one of four third down attempts for their opponents to be converted. Uh, in that aspect, Houston's doing a good job and really getting the pressure on a Tennessee team that still had a chance to win. They were only down 14-7 to at the half. They actually had Matt Hassel back in the game, a, a veteran quarterback, but Houston was able to get two pick sixes in the game uh, and help out to win that game 38-14. to Next we look, well, at kind of the old guard, Peyton Manning. Let's give him credit. It's his first 300-yard game uh, with Denver. But you go up against a bad pass defense for the Raiders, you want to get the job done. And he did so in very impressive fashion. 30 of 38, 338 yards, three touchdowns, a pass rating of 130 this is what you want to see from Denver against the inferior opponents. And if they can keep doing this against inferior opponents, the Broncos may win that division, even if San Diego started the year at 3-1. and one. San Diego, they've beat up three cupcakes, Kansas City, Oakland, Tennessee. Not really much that can be impressive about that at this point. So Denver might be the better team at this point. And uh, Peyton Manning, uh, really, when you look at it, Showing up the way he did, that was definitely a good sign. And one more. How about the, the Cincinnati Bengals? And let's flip the switch here. Andy Dalton leading that offense last week, one of the top five performers of week three. How about we go defensively 
for this team. That's right, defensively for Cincinnati. Did you know the Bengals lead the league with 17 sacks? In fact, if you're to look at the defensive hog index, the Bengals are fifth in negative pass play percentage, seventh, third down defense. They're ranked 14th because they're dead last in rushing defense. They've allowed opponents to rush for 5.45 yards per attempt. And if you look at Maurice Jones-Drew, he actually had 13 carries for 38 yards in this game. So Cincinnati doing better in that aspect, doing better defensively. And they're able to get six sacks in this game. How about Geno Atkins? He's the fifth player on this list. Two sacks, two tackles for a loss, three quarterback hits. Kind of leading the way for Cincinnati. If this defense can keep going and getting better, Cincinnati schedules quite easily. It's quite easy uh, moving forward a little bit here. In a soft spot of their schedule because they face off against the rookie Ryan Tannehill at home on Sunday against Miami. They face off against the rookie Brandon Whedon. The week after that, it could be Cincinnati being 5-1 and one before they host Pittsburgh Week 7. Yes, okay. Four of those five games will be against rookie quarterbacks in the fifth against the second-year quarterback who is horrible as a rookie. But Cincinnati, you can't blame them for getting the job done against the guys they're supposed to. Uh, so right here, Geno Atkins gets the fifth player of the week. Now, finally, we have to wrap things up here. It's been a lengthy edition of the Stat Pack, so we look at the top eight teams in the National Football League at this point. Number one, the Houston Texans. They're tops in the quality stats power rankings for a reason. Uh, They've just done a fantastic job, whether it's the running game, the passing game, uh, the, the pass defense, the pass rush. Houston's been the number one team in the league. Number two... The Atlanta Falcons, yes, they struggled against Carolina. And I honestly wonder still about this team because Carolina was the familiar opponent. They knew how to scheme against the Falcons. They've seen Matt Ryan plenty of times. They've seen Roddy White plenty of times. Okay, it's only their second year seeing Julio Jones, but they knew how to take him out of the game. And really that first opponent that was familiar gave him a a tough test at home. A 30-28 game that the Falcons had to barely eke out. So that makes me worry. Uh, but nonetheless, I still think they're the second-ranked team in the league. Number three, the Arizona Cardinals. They're fourth in the quality stats power rankings. They're 4-0. They had a bad matchup. They were able to survive it. I think that uh, in terms of uh, Baltimore right behind them at four in a team that's ranked third in uh, the quality stats power rankings, You can kind of flip that over depending on how you want to look at uh, record. And depending on how you want to look at the relativity of things, Arizona just a bit better than Baltimore in the relativity index. Number five, the Chicago Bears. A dominant game against the Cowboys. They move up to fifth in the quality stats power rankings. Uh, And yes, the, the one problem is this offensive line as per usual. Um, but I think things will get better as, as the season goes and you don't have Mike Martz uh, going with the long, distinguished routes. Uh, as the, the season moves on, I think this Bears team can be very dangerous. And I had Houston over Chicago for Super Bowl forty-seven at the beginning of the season, and that pick might look like uh, one that could happen. 
Number six, the San Francisco 49ers. They're tied for sixth in the quality stats power rankings after a huge win over the Jets. But you look at the opponents that the 49ers have faced, Green Bay, Minnesota, and now the Jets. Uh, they really, I think, showed themselves here as a team that, that has kind of the all-around ability. They were able to go straight up against Aaron Rodgers, really just punch him in the face, stay physical with those wide receivers, and then not turn the ball over offensively. It was a tough win in Lambeau. Got the job done. They absolutely made the Jets look foolish any which way possible. And yes, the Jets, they're not a good team, but they're not a bad team either. And even though they lost to Minnesota, uh, they, they were still in that game. It was just a, kind of the perfect game played by Minnesota at the right time. But San Francisco, they are sixth on my list. Number seven, the New England Patriots. Yes, two and two, but losses to Baltimore, losses to Arizona. Those are two top four teams. So you can't really uh, fault New England all too much. They're still tied for sixth in the quality stats power rankings. Meanwhile, we wrap things up. Number eight, the Minnesota Vikings. Yes, at the quarter point of the season, the Minnesota Vikings, a team that was 3-13 and last year, they're in the upper quartile, 3-1 this season, 8th in the quality stats power rankings. Christian Ponder has yet to turn over the football. As mentioned, the passing defense doing a better job. Adrian Peterson's getting better as things go by. Just all around a solid team at this point. I would like to see them do it against better competition. And it kind of shows they're, they're uh, a lukewarm 11th in the relativity index because Minnesota should be expected to beat Jacksonville, expected to beat Detroit, who's not having a good season at least early on. They will be expected to beat Tennessee moving forward. But right now, uh, the way that Christian Ponder's playing, the way that th this team is just kind of quietly yet smoothly getting the job done, Minnesota is ranked 8th. That'll just about do it here in this week four edition of the Stat Pack. Week five, well, it's going to be an interesting week when you think about things here because you have that great matchup between the Denver Broncos and the New England Patriots, two of the top six teams in the Relativity Index. You look at some other interesting matchups uh, that will be moving forward. The Thursday night matchup, Carolina at St. Louis St. Louis, for the first time in more than five years, could be over 500 if they get the victory. And they're a respectable 15th in the quality stats power rankings. That will be an interesting divisional matchup. Uh, but you also look at some other interesting matchups. The Falcons at the Redskins. Matt Ryan, who's been the best passer in the league through a quarter of the season, going up against Robert Griffin III, who's been doing a great job. They're the top two teams in real quarterback rating. And that was the best indicator last year in terms of the correlation to victory. That could be uh, a really a great shootout in D.C. 1 p.m. come Sunday. So, so I look at that matchup. I look at Broncos, Patriots, Cardinals, against the Rams might be your top three matchups for week five. I think it'll be an exciting week. And until next time, have a, a good week, football fans. 